The Agora podcast is covered by a BIPCOT no-gov license. Use and reuse is free and encouraged by anyone except governments or their agents. Find out more at BIPCOT.org. operation of the machine becomes so odious makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part you can't even passively take part and you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels upon the levers by all the apparatus and you've got to make it stop you were born free you got fucked out of half of it you wave a flag celebrate <laughs> Central authority has just embedded right in it uh, its own problem, and that is that it means a few people make decisions for many people. Cool, we are live. Welcome to whoever's or welcome whoever's listening. Which might be Penguin. Yeah. And we're back. Yeah. Um, so Zach, how's it going? How's your weekend going? Uh not bad. I had a rain day Friday. Mm -hmm. And then um today I was off today. But I Yeah, I, that that rain hit us overnight, so I just woke up and didn't feel like going to work. So I said, "No, we're not. We're not doing this." We kind of had a Saturday obligation, but I can get out of it a few times a year. Um, just this, this is the first time during the grudging season, so uh, yeah, we can we can fudge that. Um, but typically, I was going well, I was going to work a half day, and uh, yeah, it's that it's that very same rain, and I was not trying to trying to uh, mow what's probably some tall weeds in that, you know. No, that'd be like mowing mud. Yeah. Yeah, it's a weird place. Anyways, um I ended yeah, up like I, I feel you doing I ended up being kind of like more feeling more busy than I do when I'm working cuz I was just I don't know, man, like I was I took the day since it was I was off yesterday, I took the day to like gather, you know, go get materials and parts that I needed for a job and I had to go pick mm -hmm. up my mower and run around and like uh, so i've just been like running around the past two days so um yeah and i worked at day today was... like 12 or one or something so yeah well um yeah it feels kind of funky having not gone to work and then didn't um we had a couple cancellations today so for, for us we had a couple recordings we, we wanted to do um, those fell out, but we did have some stuff we did want to record. Yeah, we wanted to do this episode anyway, right? So it kind of just worked out. But yeah, we kind of need to do it. Well, no, if we want to get it in before Ramadan, then uh, this is the this is the Saturday, the last Saturday before. 
Right, 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 right. Yeah, I keep I something I found out doing the, doing this podcast is I think the scheduling is the hardest part to do. It really, it's really been a, a struggle trying to work out yeah. everybody's schedule. You know, get everybody together, and then oh, now we got to reschedule. So now we got to find out who can fill in, or you know, what are we gonna you know do? And it's like uh, another job sometimes. But I don't know. Yeah. And that's what we wanted to talk about today. We did want to get an episode in um, because Ramadan is coming up. And as if longtime listeners or whatever of the show know, maybe not so longtime listeners, the, uh, I'm, I'm Muslim. I'm practicing Muslim. And it's an obligation and a big deal and a big holiday season for us. Um, for yeah, Ramadan, um, the, the month long, I guess, celebration, you could say, or observance of Ramadan. Um, this time is kind of cool. It's, it's coinciding with like Lent and passover and everything and that's that changes throughout the year because it's a strictly it's on a strictly learner cycle it doesn't reset or anything so it's like uh it's a it's a 11, 11 days earlier every year so it, it it can take place throughout your lifetime at all types of the year but this time it's, it's coinciding with that with that season cool. and the yeah. dawn of spring yeah i am not a muslim uh i you know i'm i'm an atheist but i am very interested i don't know much about ramadan um, so I am interested to, you know, as to what it's all about. I did read the Quran, but this was many okay. years ago. Um, and I don't, I don't honestly remember much from it. I uh, got us. Yeah. It's, it's very repetitive. And then in some places it's very, you know, not so repetitive. It's actually, um, very, it's varied throughout kind of it's, it's tone and cadence and, and, and the subject matter. Um, and it's repetitive because it's like poetic, you know, so it's like a, any song or any poetry it is, it has refrains and, and, and common stuff. But I gotta say, I have not read, I can recite a lot of it, uh, from memory or, or I'm close to, I've probably forgot some in Arabic, but I can't say I've read the thing front to back in the English translation. That's something that I, I, I know, the stuff that I know in Arabic, I know in English, but I certainly uh, have not read the whole thing through in my native tongue. So um, people have done that. That's an awesome feat. It's pretty long. Yeah, I do remember kind of enjoying reading it. I also enjoyed, uh, I read uh, right around the same time, I read some of the Hindu Vedas, and I also really enjoyed um, some of those too. They're a very interesting read. There was a time in my life where I was uh, very interested in religion as um uh i don't know why I, I was at the same time i was very interested in philosophy too so i was just reading whatever i could get my hands on so i was reading the bible and i read you know some uh, uh jewish hebrew texts and i read uh, uh, a lot of christian uh, variations of the bible and some uh like i said hindu texts i said like i said but buddhism taoism and the quran few other ones but i was also reading a lot of philosophy at the same time and it was like uh i was also smoking a lot of weed so it was like what that was what i did with a lot of my free time was just trying to figure out the nature of the universe i guess right and why yeah. people believe what they believe you know so yeah the thing with the quran is that if you're going to read it like front to back you're going to read you know read it a good english translation i probably have my opinions on what's what what'll sound good to you or what's that what's you know there's always a matter of accuracy versus the poetic reading or the you know how, how poetic it is versus how ac you know accurate to the original and of course it's it's in a different language 
And it's something that's meant to be like maybe some of those other texts actually, very commonly the case. Uh, it's meant to be, well, of course, it's very, it's very much meant to be recited from memory and memorized and, you know, done orally, but also with, you know, it's, it's written form so you can kind of refer to it. But it's meant to be recited as kind of like what you might call a lyrical poetry, it's, it's sung. And what, if you're not hearing it in its original, uh, you know, the original, the actual syllables of it being spoken melodically, it's going, it's not going to have the same effect. You also need to probably, I mean, it has great, great information if you're reading it for its information, but it also has to be understood in the aspect of being recited in, in the original Arabic. And you can pull up plenty, plenty, plenty of YouTube videos of people beautifully reciting it. And that's an aspect that's lost if you're just reading the translation. That's a, it's so much, so much of it is, is the beauty of, of the original language. And then that requires you to know some of the language, but even if you don't, and you, you're reading the subtitles, just, just hearing it, you know, you can't hear lyrical, you can't read lyrical poetry in, in, in a word for word translation and really understand the effect of why it's worded that way. It actually kind of sounds pretty silly. So I recommend that consuming it in, in that, I recommend consuming it in that form with subtitles versus um, just reading the dry text. So is Arabic the main language it's always been in? And the reason, like what I'm asking is, um, so there's certain, a lot of different translations of the Bible in a lot of different languages, but, you know, originally it was, there's some texts that were in Aramaic and then there's some texts that were in Hebrew, right? And then there's like a, a lot of texts that were Greek for a long time. And that, so is is it always been Arabic like since the beginning or is there yeah. other languages that were, it was uh, translated in besides like English, like in ancient, ancient languages, I mean. Yes. So that's absolutely. Yes. It's a hundred percent true. So in contrast to like the, for example, the Christian Bible that Christians use today, it spans over like a thousand years and from different sources and that were originally residing in different languages. And some of it was written down. Some of it, uh, you know, the new Testament was written down in I think Greek, Originally, the, the, the Greek, uh, what's the word, um, like lingua franca of the region of, at the time. Um, and it was written down as text versus, versus if you go back to the old books, the old books of the Old Testament um, or Hebrew, very ancient text. There are scrolls, but that was definitely something that was recited and passed down orally for many, many centuries. Um, unlike that, you know collection of texts from really different faiths and different times and different places. Uh, the Quran was uh, revealed to the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings upon him, um, all in his lifetime, over the span of a certain number of years, a few decades, and bits and pieces, and not in, not by the way, in the order that it's in. It's mostly in the order of like longest to shorter surahs, chapters. Um, which are very extremely in length um, because it, it, it's very complicated, but it's, 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 it is revealed through different eras, but it's uh, revealed all in one lifetime in one language. And that language is, is supposed to be, uh, it's the unbroken, you know, having been passed, having been compiled and passed down maybe at the end of his life or at the 
right after and having been written down in that form and having the language the written language actually standardized for this purpose because it was just not the case that, that that standard language existed it's we're not talking about the uh you know the greco-roman civilization here we're talking about what was you know a place of the civilized place but not certainly kind of a backwaters of the world um relatively speaking if you know your ancient history um yeah, it's, it's the original Arabic language spoken at that time, preserved and recited in that language. And with very, very, you know, not to get into minutiae, you can always get into the really small minutiae, but in, in the big picture, it's word for word unchanged from that uh, dialect. Now, of course, the modern Arabic language, uh, it preserves the alphabet and a lot of the basic features of that language, but that's it's that has evolved just like any language has evolved in the spoken language and and the and lesser so the the standard written language which is a little a lot closer to the classical language that has obviously changed over time um but the language of the quran is unbroken and has been recited the same way for so long that you know it's it kind of is a language just pre preserved in perpetuity um sort of you can kind of say the same with latin um and there are you know, plenty of languages being spoken that that have evolved from latin and then became written languages and so so forth and so on too so um yeah it's 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 still recited in the, in the original without going into really small minutiae basically the original you know sound for sound syllable for syllable of, of the original recitation what so what uh time frame um muhammad lived around 400 like 400 a.d right Around that time, is that correct? You're muted. Sorry. Yeah, from like five ninety five ish to like six forties or late six thirties. Okay. Not one hundred percent sure. Yeah, and of course they have their own dating system that starts with the you know instead of the birth of you know where they try to calculate the birth of Christ, they have the uh, the migration from from Mecca to Medina is uh, another calendar year one, year two, and so forth. And we're in we're in fourteen something. I really don't know. Oh, okay. So when when the Prophet Muhammad journeyed to Mecca and Medina, that's when time starts. The calendar starts. Yep. And we do know when that was, okay. so you can kind of pinpoint that to the AD calendar. Okay, so so that time was right around five late five uh, five hundred AD. Uh, six twenty three, I think it was. Okay, it starts. And so the the Quran was compiled after his death. Um, I think there were texts, you know, various texts in his time, but it wasn't compiled. But it was kind of in people's heads. You know, it's you recite gotcha. the Quran every time, every time you do the five daily prayers, you know, so and then you can do it on your, you know, on your own and piecemeal, but you can recite it. You're reciting it all the time, pretty much. But um, it certainly was compiled in its authoritative form right afterwards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. All it's, right. So it's cool that you don't have it, a lot. You don't have different versions of this text there are sects oh, there are right, differences yeah. there are and, and and part of the reason is it's not that long ago 1400 years ago in terms of like world religions isn't that long ago there was you know we're, we're talking about the medieval period during most in in much of the old world so there is not so much time you you can't compare that to text you know like you said the hindu vedas or something that that are thousands of years old um, we're talking about something that exists that coexisted with the 
Eastern Roman Empire. Um, and right, the latter Roman you, Empire, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, the beginnings of the med medieval period. So we're, we're we're talking about just you know a, a lot of this claims that it's kind of this unbroken chain um, in various aspects of the religion. Well, it's because it's it's a much more recent uh, faith than than most of the other big ones. Really, any major large scale world religion. Hey y'all, it's Resonance. Um, yeah, from the Let's Make Some Shit podcast. Uh, here telling you guys about some of the new stuff I've got at Appalachian Apothecary. Right now I have a remineralizing tooth powder that's made with calcium carbonate and bentonite clay. Um, I have a four ounce jars that I'm selling for 10 bucks a piece. And then uh, also I've done a couple of body butters. Um, they're whipped tallow body butters. One's infused with arnica, and the other one is a very potent pain reliever. And if you'd like more info on that, you can find me at radical underscore resonance on Telegram or at Mother of Chaos X A O S on Twitter. Um, I'd be happy to make tinctures for you regarding like any medical condition that you have. So please reach out to me, and let's see if we can get you some herbal remedies. So remind me, since we're kind of on this, um, the history of Islam, and I used to know this and I can't remember now, but what is the split between uh, Shia and Sunni again? Is it the, it's the dis one sect uh, recognizes the descendants of Muhammad, right? Is that correct? And the other does not? Uh, pizza, yeah, pizza blessings upon him. Um so I want to first just couch this. Can in, I use something else idea. besides Muhammad? Not, would, that, would that be better? No, no, no. That's fine. We, okay. we, 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 we're, we're enjoying to say, you know, say the peace and blessings upon him um, after mentioning his name. That's just the kind of thing that we do. Well, I just don't want to have to have you yeah. repeat it every time. So. No, 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 no. Of course not. Of course not. And there's no reason. To, yeah. Um, I, I just want to couch this first to the idea that I'm not an authoritative source on any of this stuff, although this is history, so I can speak on it. But, you know, I am not in authority from an Islamic perspective. And again, this is 1400 years ago. There's writing, there's civilization at this time. There's not modern, but there's like medieval civilization. So like a lot of stuff is known, but there's so much that is, is known. There's so many minute, small details that is known. I'm nowhere near an authoritative source on this stuff. And I'll tell you, um, that's, and that's especially on religious matters because people train their whole lives every day, sun up, sundown and all night their entire lives for decades and decades just to get understand these kind of things. But that's, that's neither here nor there. I just want to say, I'm not an authoritative source and I do not know the, the exact um, story, but basically uh, after the death of the prophet, peace of blessings upon him, it was like, uh, it was like uh, there was uh, the idea of success succession. Basically there was no, you know, the fledgling small regional community of Muslims, um, had an un, you know, had a, the prophet of God as their undisputed leader, and they've just you just obey because he's the prophet of God and he's the guy that's come down with this religion. But after that, there, you know, after that, you, there's no exact line of succession of people that are prophets of God. He's the last one. He's the seal of the prophets. There are many before him. He's the last one. Um, so there are he designated, you know, a. Uh, a earthly successor to handle 
succession in, in earthly affairs, basically. I mean, it's it's of the Muslims, but it's like in earthly affairs, right? There is no prophet. That's 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 done. It's just not going to be any more that, and no guy has that quality about him. Um, so there was there were disputes always about this, but there was a um, you know a state in in, in a pre modern form, basically formed just de facto by just the nature of the community and and what we believe. There was something you know like a state there was a there was a one there's one undisputed leader and ali so the shia are basically means the partisans and they're the partisans of ali they believe that he was the rightful successor um of muhammad but then uh um abu bakr abu bakr al-siddiq was the chosen successor when when the people kind of when the uh i don't know the the big wigs uh, the the guy the muhammad's closest like companions uh had met and decide and kind of decided to put him on uh, as the uh, leader and the reason was he's he was the fourth muslim to first person fourth person to accept islam and he was older and wiser old and wise and had the qualities of a leader and ali his nephew was just too young and inexperienced kind of do that even though he was probably the closest person and he was the closest person by kinship so the the problem doesn't really arise during like the the first caliphate of abu Bakr. um he's a great man just absolutely great qualities no problem but the then the second i i forget it's it's with nafan and then or there's this couple after that and i'm just kind of blanking on all the names and everything Osman and Omar, which are two of the great successors, there is there have been problems. There was a lot of political turmoil right away. So, like the religion is past is surviving and thriving today, unbroken. But on the political side, and this is really interesting. I just I'm not an authoritative source, but like on the political side, the caliphs after that, two of the caliphs died um, violent deaths, I believe. I'm kind of blanking on how many, I think two died on violent deaths. There was a lot of political turmoil. There was assassinations. There was, there were quarrels. There were other branches of the clan that wanted power that, um, so that the lineage of the clan of, of, of the tribe, I mean, sorry, of Quraysh that Muhammad and all, and these people kind of belong to, they, um, there was a southern, another branch that was actually, the patriarch of this branch was actually the, the worst enemy of Islam and like the worst oppressor of the Muslims. Um, they were seeking power and control and there was just a lot of political turmoil. And there was uh, one of the caliphs was assassinated by a Persian after, you know, after having uh, defeated the Persians and so forth. And there was just a lot of problems in basically establishing a state and kind of deciding who was going to be the ruler and there there ended up being civil civil wars and fighting and infighting and domestic quarrels and all sorts of mess and the end result is say what you will about the the infighting at this time but there were four successors of um muhammad that were good righteous upstanding strong muslims the very 
the very first of the Muslims and like the closest companions and the most like honest people, they never would let a, a fleck of gold, you know, waste a fleck of gold from the treasury. And they would never, um, you know, they would be right in all of their kind of right and fair in all or most of their decisions. But, um, you know, at, once there started being a power struggle, uh, I can't tell you all the details of the fat power struggle, but in the end, in the end, uh, I, I can. It's safe to say that the bad guys win. And while the while Muhammad implored his people when they were oppressing him that if you just accepted my message, that <clears throat> that uh, you will have all this riches and all this land and all everything. They never accepted his message for a very long time. They continued to oppress him and throw stuff at him and kick him out of the community and try to starve him and not sell him food and so on and so forth and make them have to flee. And amongst amongst some of the very, very, very first Muslims that were slaves, they were tortured and slown and tortured. And the people that, because this is a kinship society, the people that couldn't be tortured were still harassed and not sold food and ostracized from their community. Um, but they ended up politically outmaneuvering, and then you ended up with a ruler that was a tyrant, the fifth caliph, and so on, that was uh, established, and this is the big one, established, you know, uh, a patrilineal succession, so passing on to the sun and so forth, and having a just your standard empire, your standard state that that is divorced basically from the 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 new religion that was liberating people in, in their eyes. Um, but the end result of that, the, the final straw, I can't go through all the different things that happened, but the final straw of that was that Ali was um, slown in battle and then his son and grandson was um, slown in battle with his grand, holding his grandson in his arms. And it was this huge massacre of people. And that's why these people for you know forever that were the you know basically the religion uh the, the sect following ali um they are a sect that is forever persecuted and have this persecution complex of just trying to avenge his death at the hand of other people that claim to be muslim um it's very interesting in terms of like uh statism because it's it's there's a big dichotomy between how the uh, religion survives to this day and has like a, millions and millions or a billion maybe uh, um, followers and it's it is so much knowledge and and so much discourse and it it the religion is spread to so many parts of the world, but the political project fell apart pretty quickly or went bad pretty quickly. And obviously fell apart over time, and there were different Muslim states and different, Muslim, you know, rulers, and there were sects, and there really, really never were supposed to be sects in this uh, faith. So it, there's a big dichotomy between the political project and the religious, and there, you know, it, it's it's not a religion that formally recognizes a, a difference between the two, but the history has this sharp dichotomy between the political project and the religious. Hey, y'all, I got something cool to tell you about. So you know how uh, I'm doing a big initiative to try to get more people to Gorilla Garden? Uh, 
Well, uh, Daggerist over at agoristacres.com, he's kind of teaming up with me a little bit here to help support this uh, cause. So if you use the code Agora10 uh, over at agoristacres.com, you'll get 10% off. Um, for any reason um, you're buying seeds, whether that be grill gardening or your own garden, anything like that. But if you contact Daggerist uh, or myself and you tell them that I sent you to get seeds for gorilla gardening, he might be able to swing an additional hookup. Um, it might be just whatever he's got, you know, a uh, surplus of or that kind of thing, whatever he can do. Um, so he's he's down for the cause here and really wants to help uh, see this come to fruition. Um, so I am I am Sekmagora, at Sekmagora on all the, the um, social media. You can contact Dagoras directly on his website, uh, agoristakers.com again. And uh, the code is Agora10 to just get 10% 10, uh, 10 off straight up. And um, tell him I sent you for, for Gorilla Gardening and you'll... Uh, He'll, he'll try to hook you up however he can. And um, what, this is what we got to do. we got to support people that support us that want to see more of this in the world. Um, so, again, it's agrostakers.com. Check it out um, and get out there and and cause a, cause a ruckus and get some gorilla gardening done. All right, y'all. Peace. Okay. I, got, I have one more question, then we can move on to... Uh, Ramadan itself, but so this is taking place in Arabia. Um, mm -hmm. what was the what was the culture and religion prior to um the birth of Islam? Like, okay, what, great question, what, great question. Yeah. No, go on. I'm sorry. Just no, that's it. I, I'm just trying to guess, but I, I have no idea. This is the crucial story. Um, this is the crucial story, and this is there's so much known about this because of that. So they were, uh, there's so much to talk about. I can't begin and begin, but let me try to scratch the surface. They were, uh, they were pagans. They had, they had idols, they had statues, and it was just ancient pagan religion. And there were also there were lots of different regions and and, and towns and small cities, I guess you could say. And they were they were like states um, at different times in history there. Uh, Yemen was a state, I know, you know, um, there were others, uh, but they all had their pagan religions, their idols, but all the idols of the tribes of Arabia, so it's a tribal society, I should say, all the different idols of the tribes of Arabia were housed in Mecca, or often, or actually also known as Baca at the time, the ancient name, um, where in the form of the Kaaba that existed at the time. Now, Islamic teaching shows that the original the first structure built there was built by Adam, the first man, and that like Abraham and Isaac had built the first like real Kaaba there. Um when Isaac Ismail, sorry, Ismail, sorry, Ismail and Abraham, when um Ismail was cast out and went down to Arabia. Um but Eventually, they went to idol worship, paganism, and so all the so all the um, statues of all the different idols worshipped in Arabia were housed all together in this temple. And every year, 
all the tribes would have this pilgrimage and they'd all go to Mecca. So the tribe of Mecca, um, which had their own gods, but they also had all, all the groups in like the Pan-Arabian culture. And this is just in like Arabia proper, you know, the, the Gulf. All their their role in this culture was to be the host of all the pilgrims. And their it's not power, but their honor was to feed and and clothe and 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 be hospitable to all these pilgrimage pilgrims every year. Um, and then they had the whole the concept of the holy month. So they would all like not hunt or fight wars or everything. So they could all come and and, and 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 uh to this temple and worship i don't know exactly what they did at the time but they i think they walked around it like they do now but um and in the, you know in muslim orthodoxy that's seen as like a corruption of the original religion that was established there but anyways they were pagans but this was the place where all the all the idols were and where like the arabian religion was kind of centered um so that was the context that muhammad was born into born into he was born into that tribe and born into that culture so <clears throat> this is very similar to the, the the hebrew story then where so wait, let me back up a second so the people in that area considered themselves descendants of abraham right is that what you're saying uh oh let me add one thing um before because I'm, I'm gonna try to think on that one um but there were also jews and christians living among them sure so there were okay. tribes of there were tribes of jews that were just i don't know if they were it was a diaspora thing or however they they lived all throughout arabia and and they were various tribes and they, and they were also a tribal society with their own kinship so they were different tribes of jews and they were christians so these religions were known to them and Jewish Judeo, you know, monotheism was in Abraham and all this stuff was known to them. This was a known thing, but this was just a religion to them, not necessarily the religion. Um, as far as the Abraham thing, I think they there was it was known that like the tribe of Quraysh was did claim ultimate descent from Abraham mm. and Ismail, but um, I'm not sure how prevalent that belief or knowledge was among everybody okay so this is very similar to um the jews that began to wish uh, worship the golden calf and false idols and etc it's a seems like a very similar story i mean there is that origin story so there is like a point in history that they claim that they, you know the, the, the idol worship began and before that they they had known like the true religion or whatever but the, what we do what's the most important part of the story that we do know for sure is that they were they were pagans and then they worshiped different tribes and each tribe had their own like chosen gods and mm. you know loose loose forms of worship that were separated different tribes but all the tribes descended on mecca as like the religious capital and there's just some you know there's there's claims that there's like special you know features of the magnet earth's magnetic field or something and there's some you know this ancient kind of stonehenge type of beliefs Whoa. about necessarily what what uh, the magnetic field or something converges in that site but for whatever reason that was the site of that was like the capital of the uh the arabian religion so that was the capital even before islam or yeah, like going the, back the center of generations wow so yeah. that's really common throughout like human history is there's these 
sites of worship like over and over again throughout, you know, even amongst different cultures and time. Um, and it, a lot of people have speculated it has th- something to do with like uh, magnetic fields crossing in certain areas. There's a whole thing about yeah. like ley lines and stuff and whatever else, but we don't have to go into that. But there, there is something to that. Uh, this is very common amongst like Native American peoples and stuff too. And also like Northern tribes, like, uh, you know, Celts and, Celts and the uh, uh, Gauls and stuff, but um, that's that's super interesting. I had no idea that that was um, a place of worship even before Islam. I thought that originated with yeah. Islam. That's a super important tar- part of the story, and there is some that's beyond me. This whole ley lines and magnetic fields and stuff, but that's that's the some people make that claim, and some people you know have evidence for that, and that's why this was this the, the center of spirituality in Arabia since basically basically it's claimed since Adam. Hey y'all, listen, I wanted to tell you about Ketolicious Jerky. Uh, Ketolicious Jerky is jerky made by uh, BJ, friend of the show. I get uh, jerky from her once a month, and whenever we get it, it's almost immediately gone. Um, it's really good jerky. The flavors are just on point. Um, the texture is really good. You know, it's it's nice and soft, but not too soft, and it's not you know chewy like boot leather. Um, so she's got that dialed in perfect. Um, our kiddos really enjoy it. They will inhale an entire package of jerky in minutes. Uh, our kiddo particularly likes the uh, pizza flavored, which is which is really good. I enjoy it. I think my favorite is still the black pepper, but um, the pizza's pretty good. But she's got a lot of cool different flavors that you might not find everywhere else, um, like the pizza flavored I just mentioned. But she's got a, a, a dill pickle flavored jerky, which is uh, a bit different, but I really enjoyed the the flavor on that. It's re- it's really good if you like pickles. Um, so if if you would like to check it out, uh, go to mailboxmeat.com. Uh, the shipping is free on orders uh, sixty dollars and up, and just tell them that the Agora the podcast sent you, and uh, we'll get a kickback from that. Um, it's this I, I like supporting her because she's you know number one a friend of the show but number two the the jer- jerky is really good like I, I enjoy some beef jerky now and then and hers is is really good um, especially when it comes to the texture the texture is just on point and um, the flavors are good and um, also I'm doing <clears throat> you know low sugar low carb diet so um, all of her jerky is uh, low sugar. And uh, she uses clean, uh, locally sourced meat for the jerky. Um, so again, check check out mailboxmeat.com. That's her site. And um, make sure you tell them that Agora the Podcast sent you. And um, I hope you enjoy because I, I really do. I would, I would do this even if she wasn't an advertiser because I really enjoy the jerky. So um, check it out. And uh, again, it's mailboxmeat.com. Thanks. Peace. Interesting. Okay. So how, so, okay. So I'm trying to get a timeline in my head, but so how much of an influence do you think that's, uh, 
the previous Abrahamic face had on uh, on Islam or the Prophet Muhammad. Like I, I've heard some Muslims say that they consider um, themselves Jews and Christians to all be people of the book, right? Or, or that's how I've heard it said before. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's how the one hundred percent. Yeah, that that's the one hundred percent orthodox view. Of, okay. Of Islam, Islam is the basically, and and this is this. It's a little complicated, but it's basically the continuation of the Abrahamic tradition, all the way through Adam, Moses, Abraham, Noah, Jesus, and Muhammad, and many others. Obviously, is there a concept of the of a Messiah in Islam? Yes and no. Um, there is actually a, a Mahdi in the end times. That's a little. I don't know the eschatology too well. Um, that's the eschatology so that's like your book of revelations that's your end times um that's mati the guy that's not really so th in in terms of a guy that's going to come in the future that's like similar concept but not an exact that's actually not full on what the the messiah is um because the Mahdi is not jesus jesus actually does come back in the end times so that prophecy is true um but no we actually just believe the messiah the Messiah, the Al-Masih in Arabic, or the Messiah in, in, in Hebrew, that was Jesus Christ. And he came to, you know, the Jewish Palestine and occupied by the Romans in the year that the Bible says he did. And they, he said the things, basic similar things that the Bible claims. And he was the Messiah and he was rejected and... More oh, or less so crucified. Wait, wait, wait. I'm yes. You're saying that Islam accepts Jesus as the Messiah? Yes, um, but okay. as a human being. But he was uh -huh. the Messiah, and he was the Messiah that was foretold by all the prophets before that the Jews were expecting to come back. He was that guy, and he's he was he is accepted as word for word the Messiah. Now, okay. whether he is divine, we absolutely, absolutely, one hundred thousand percent don't believe that he was divine. Oh, okay, sure. All right, all right. And that's that's. I so, what's the difference? That... Like, so a Messiah just means messenger in a sense, right? Is that the, the idea? Messiah was the... no, 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 no. Um, the messenger, Muhammad was a messenger. Jesus was a messenger. Moses was a messenger. Okay. Right. Adam was a messenger, and Abraham uh -huh. was a messenger. That's they came with basically had a, had a scripture, but the Messiah is just a Hebrew term that when they were expecting a guy to come and lead them and lead them out of their tribulations, which was like the Romans basically at this time. Um, and that specific Messiah was Jesus. So it's basically the Jewish idea of the Messiah, but we believe. Oh, okay. Was, so they have, they, have a slightly, slightly, they have a different idea of what a Messiah is. I get it. I get it's it. the literal, it's the, well, it's the literal Messiah that you would have. So if you would, if you would have asked a Jew in, in the times right before Jesus was, you know, in his thirties doing his, preaching what they thought the messiah was we believe that in that version of the messiah yeah i gotcha i gotcha all right but we so, do believe so, that he was sent to be the basically the the king and the leader of the jews and to give them a new scripture and he did give a new scripture so i think it's like basically you know it's not the it's not the gospels it's not literally the gospels because the gospels don't read like the quran but it the red words in the gospels, the one, the things that he actually said, if, if compiled and ordered correctly would basically, and would and did form 
the basis of his revelation and his scripture. It's just that it's presented in a different way in the in in the Christian religion. Ah, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well that makes sense. Um, but you can imagine right, so if 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 you can imagine if you know Jesus was a guy and he just he simply and, and John the Baptist by the way. But if Jesus was the was a guy and he did preach a message and he did he did have a scripture, one of the you know, relatively few humans that ever received a scripture directly from the, through the angel Gabriel directly um, from God. That he's that. Imagine if you had a religion that didn't also view Jesus as divine, of virgin birth, by the way, um, but not of God, because as a strict monotheist religion, there is no Trinity, there is no. There is no second to God. There is no partner to God. There is no comparison. Um, wow. Imagine that. I mean, we just believe that that's a false belief that people started believing at some point, and there's some evidence to that. And people quibble, and Muslims and Christians argue that uh, can can argue over that all the time. But imagine if Christianity, um, Christianity without the divinity of Christ. That's basically what we more or less believe. Um, early Christianity without the divinity of Christ is more or less what we believe. As the story of uh, Jesus, very important figure in our religion. Yeah, I did know that at, at least, but I didn't know about the the rest of it. I mean, that makes that makes complete sense. Um, funny side note: um, Brian Sovereign and I were having a conversation in his Patri Patreon group, and he thinks that uh, we're talking about the figure of Jesus and how much validity there is to, to Jesus, you know, and he had the, um, and honestly, I don't think he's the only one that's ever made this point, but he thinks that uh, maybe John the Baptist was actually the Messiah and Jesus kind of um, was like uh, his disciple and took up his project once the John the Baptist was beheaded. Um, and Jesus was not actually the Messiah, but he was just sort of, a, mm. um, you know, if like your hero dies and you want to just pre preach his message, that's what Jesus was. And John the Baptist yeah. was, his, was his hero. At least that's what Sovereign thinks. Uh, I mean, all that's basically true, except that John the Baptist wasn't technically the Messiah. But yeah, right, I mean, right, right. a lot of that is true, for sure. Right. Well, yeah, Jesus was was a disciple of John the Baptist, but um yeah, it, it, I don't know. Whatever. That's another another story for another time. But um, I thought that was an interesting spin on it that I hadn't really heard before. Uh, so so Ramadan. I have no idea what Ramadan is at all. So what? Um, let's uh, let's start at like modern day Ramadan, and then we can go into the history of it. Um, okay. So what is what do you what uh, what are we celebrating? What do you? do how long is it um you said it's the what the 111th day of the year is that what you said or 11th? no it's no 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 it's um it's just one of the months of the year and and, okay. and just the way the calendar works it works off of straight moon straight moon new moon to, new moon to new moon so it's not it doesn't line up with the calendar as the fixed calendar that we use today um but it is a month and it is it, it, it's a type of calendar that would have been useful in pre-modern times before you know the kind of calculations you'd have to do and leap years and all that stuff um where you were literally just viewing the moon and and the word month obviously comes from the word moon so it, it, it it's a strictly physical moon sighting based uh idea so at sundown on 
March 22nd, um, is which is the start of the day, just like it is in the, you know, the, the Jews believe the same thing, the start of the day being the sundown. We begin uh, Ramadan and then uh, we fast in, in our in our way of fasting from su uh, sunup to, or actually the morning prayer, which is a little bit before sun sunrise, all the way to the very second the sun goes down. Um, so from the morning prayer, basically, to when the sun goes down. And during that time, we do not eat or drink anything. So no, no water, no food, no nothing. Yep. And that really changes. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be tough. It can be, you know, depending on where you live, how you live, you know, you got your winter, you got your parts of your lifetime. It might fall in the winter and it might be very short days. And, and in the summer, it might be very long and very hot days. Um, and there's, you know, people try to work around that as much as possible, but it, it's definitely, it's definitely uh, uh, an experience to experience it multiple different decades. Um, but yeah, it's, it can be tough, but it puts you in a, you know, it puts you in a disposition where you are, your your pat you know with having basically your your um blood sugar is lower and, and your passions are reduced and you can really focus on your religion and 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 doing good doing good and and, and preventing evil um and that's the idea basically it's just a month it's just a month of religiosity and fasting so what else are you doing during this time are you are you going to mosque a lot more um, are you allowed to labor during this period? Um, are you trying to do sort of charitable works, you know, more during that time? Um, like uh, well, you mentioned Lent because Lent is coming up here soon. You know, people are giving up things for that um, that week or whatever and trying to do more things for other people. You know, in, is it, is it, what's that? I think we're in Lent, aren't we? Is it uh, in Lent? I have no idea. Yeah, uh, yeah it's somewhere. Around here. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, you're allowed to labor. It's, it can be tough, and you know people will try to do the best to cope with that and work around that. You know, it's it's, it's very understanding. Um, but if you're not traveling and you're not uh, menstruating or sick or and so forth, you uh, do the fast, and the fast is the fast is the only act of. So one thing, this is one of the primary obligations of being a Muslim is that you fast during Ramadan. Yeah, you can fast almost any other day of the year, except sometimes we're not always supposed to um, for practical reasons, but it, you can fast all the time. But this, in these 30 days, roughly 30 days, you have to fast. Mm -hmm. And you're, what, what's, what's important to also realize is you're fasting with all the other Muslims. Um, so you're doing it together. You're starting your fast together and you're definitely breaking your fast together. And um, that's very useful too. Um, it brings you all together. And then uh, I was just going to say that this seems like it would build very strong community bonds. Yes. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So, so what, regardless of what you're doing, when you go about your day, the kind of society you live in, if it's majority Muslim or not, and that's, that can be all differ. But when you um, go to break your fast, you're breaking bread with other people and you're all chowing down and you might be going to the mosque. Um, you don't have to. Um, and that's what I said so far is the fundamental things you actually have to do. Um, well, once you go to the mosque, um, once you get to the evening prayer, uh, what they do every night is something that when I started practicing, and this is something that even even with I have some background in the religion growing up, not a very strong background, but some I come from. It's very complicated, but I do come from a somewhat Muslim background. 
but not really raised practicing, although I was aware of the religion. Anyways, uh, what I saw is an incredible feat that people do every night um, well after sundown, after they've broken their fast and ate and ate some more and ate some more. And you can also eat throughout the night if you if you need to. Um, they get together and they pray these long prayers uh, where you stand hours on end and you recite long portions of the Quran. And the person reciting the Quran is reciting, of course, in, you know, melodically in the original Arabic from memory for hours. And then he's giving a little lecture in, in between. And then he's reciting for, for another hour, a couple hours. And then they're doing some more stuff. But And during the last few days, they're praying throughout the night. Um, and the stamina and discipline it takes to do that is it's just, uh, I found that incredible in the, in the beginning. And I, I'm kind of used to it. But uh, And if you're not doing that, you're volunteering and you're helping. And you're helping cook, food, you know, women especially are helping to cook food. And people are uh, are. are cleaning the mosque and serving the food and doing the logistics. And that's all blessing. I, I do security work actually over there, including the parking lot, parking and whatnot. Um, and I enjoy that kind of stuff. So that's why I volunteer to do that. Uh, really, really enjoy that. It really suits my interests, but um, the people are really, there's also, you know, all people that are volunteering and really doing lab, all sorts of labors just to make it logistically possible. And they're doing that while fasting during the day and while like, hungry at night and trying to get in their meals in between doing all the help. So it's a really wonderful, wonderful thing that we do every night. And basically you have a celebration every night. So, um, you, you all go to the mosque every, every night or just, um, or is there main, you don't have to go that... to the mosque at all. Right. You don't really have to go to the mosque at all, but oh, I don't a mean lot of people have do. to, but do people, that's what ge people generally do. Some people do all 30 days and they do all the, all the prayers and all the hours and they hear the whole wow. Quran recited and I can hear it over the loudspeaker, but I couldn't do that. I just, I could not, I, I'm not on that level. And, and, and sometimes it's when you're older and, but it's a lot of working people and even people bring their kids and to be able to stand in prayer for that long. I, I really, that's, I really find that um, kind of, well, I don't find that the most awe-inspiring thing, and, but I find, um, the reciting of the Quran for hours on end from memory to be uh, just really special. Yeah. That's one thing that I've, I like about Islam. And I guess this is true for at least certain sects of other religions, but these, the sort of uh, focus on community and charitable works and hospitality. You mentioned that it was interesting mm -hmm. that you mentioned that earlier, um, how that was the, that was a, a, primary tenant of their culture even in the early days and it seems to be that way even to this day um yeah. just the 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 honor sort of the honor code and uh, around hospitality and that's something that i really enjoyed this is also true for i think christianity and uh, and uh, hebrews is, or i'm sorry uh, jewish people as well but um it's um it's not true for everyone. It's more true for like certain sects, sects of those religions, right? Yeah. Okay. I'll say this uh, really quickly. Um, let's tie this back into something. Kropotkin. Um, mm. Kropotkin absolutely describes like pre-modern societies. I think you'll find in most pre-modern tribal societies, 
if you go back to whenever that existed in any given place, they had very similar ideas of hospitality and not letting somebody not, you know, not rejecting somebody from joining you from dinner and not giving them a place to stay at night and stuff like that. Mm, I yeah. think that just gets lost. I think that just gets lost, but it is to some extent highly fossilized and preserved in Islam because we, we try to emulate so much of what people did in that time, even if you're in Malaysia or United States or Canada or whatever, you know? So a, a lot of things, a lot of qualities of, of, of that culture get fossilized and a lot of good things um, in general. Um, in regards to the pre-Islamic uh, uh, culture, yeah, there was some really good. Their desert culture, they the hospitality is very important to them because you know you, you don't they don't let, they don't give you a place to stay. You don't have anywhere to go for food, drink for a while. Um, yeah, it's basic survival that. at that point. Yeah, yeah, but it's also a, it's also a tribal society with very many very bad aspects. You know, a lot of feuding and violence and ignorance and stuff that mm. you know they, they the ideas they did need religion to uh, correct them from but hospitality is one of the gr good really positive and good um aspects they have they're also um just to mention uh, the qualities they're not like an agricultural bread basket growing a bunch of grain and, and stuff um they had enough to eat um that was never an issue but um they got by, but they were very much a commercial and trading culture. So that's why our religion has so many of the views on commerce and finance and exchange built into it is because ah, they, yeah. they were a commercial culture. They had money. They had they had interest. And of course, it's interest is for, forbidden in Islam. But, you know, the concept of usury. But they had finance and they had they had a lot of for 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 that long ago they had a lot they had a, a great understanding of like exchange and contracts and futures and 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 stuff like that and, and money and prices a very early primitive basically compared to what we know now but they had understanding of these things so this is why uh it's the one religion that has commerce and finance really built into the core of it because they were actually practicing it and the, and the prophet muhammad he was he was he came from a a family that did trading and his first first wife khadija was a owned a trading company actually it was older than him and owned a trading company and these this is something that these people did in their day to day because they had they had commerce where other cultures might have like uh lush fields or something where they grew lots of food and lots of crops and, and uh, so almost like a trading outpost rather than like a breadbasket and caravans and stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like a, a trading center or um, uh, trade routes and stuff. They controlled trade routes. Yeah, yeah. That makes that makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, yeah. So it's a very positive, real, po positive outlook on like exchange and, and enterprise and stuff. Mm. And and even to the extent because so much was codified that uh, some commercial law and even even in Europe was influenced, but specifically admiralty law because there was so much they had so many ships. Uh, I guess there was some Roman commercial law that kind of helped out Europe, but when it came to like uh, the commerce over the seas, a lot of admiralty law actually does come from Islam, uh, originate in the Islamic world, uh, Islamic huh. religion. Interesting. Just happened so, to work out that way. That's that's really cool. Um. So, hey, was were your parents religious? You just mentioned something about it, but I don't remember exactly what you said. 
Yeah, were they, they weren't atheists. Oh, okay. They weren't atheists. I, you know, my mom, so my mom's Christian and okay. her family is they're Protestant and they've been Protestant forever. Uh-huh. Whatever. I, as far as I know, actually, we don't know how much about too many generations back. And neither do I about my father, but my, I do know what, what country my father immigrated from and what, who, who his father and his father's father were. And I think his father's father, father, and I can go about as far back on the other side as well, even though they're Americans. So I can go about that far. I don't know many details. It's all fuzzy on both sides of the family. My dad comes from Pakistan, mm. from uh, the Punjab region. Uh, so like the East Punjab of India, when, when that, when the country before Pakistan was founded. Um, and, you know, there, I wasn't raised in a particularly religious background, but I was made aware of religion. I was made aware of more than two religions growing up. I mean, I was raised around religion, but not not raised in a religious household or religious environment. Not, but I wasn't yeah, raised not in a strictly secular. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Well, not practicing, but also not. Yeah. So, you know, I was certainly raised with, with the presence of religion and understanding what the Bible was and what the Jewish traditions were, actually, and the Islamic ones. But, you know, I mean, we would we'd go on Eid. So it's you'd go on the two Eids. It's like being a Christian that goes on, uh, you know, attends church on on Christmas and Easter. So, you know, I was aware of it, but I certainly I wasn't raised around a lot of it. It was something that I really came to on my own. So, where does um, the origins of Ramadan come from? Well, like a lot of things we mentioned, the uh, Arabian culture, the pre-Islamic Arabian culture, you know, they had the, they had the same calendar already, and they had their own customs around the calendar. And for a religion that rejects all of that, it kept a lot of similar practices. There were holy months. There were months where they didn't, um, sorry, forbidden months where they, they didn't fight in wars. Or battles or small small scale wars they didn't and and certain other things and it was like a you know the months of pilgrimage and so on and so forth um i don't know specifically what the practices in ramadan were, were but they did have like different practices around all the seasons um they're, they're not exactly the same as like a harvest festival or this and that because it's a lunar calendar but they definitely had cultural practices based around their own kind of calendar um so I don't know what the practice was before, but it's it's very clear and set out in the Quran that you know the month of Ramadan is the month of um, and it comes off as like the biggest holiday, but there really are two in Islam, and the other Eid has uh, kind of a direct relations to the the pilgrimage and and to the sacrifice that they did. Um, but for Ramadan, it was just a month and the observance basically just coincides with the beginning all the way to the end of that month. So, um, so Ramadan was another like holdover from the previous culture in Arabia. It was already observed pre-Islam. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what their practice was in that month, but it wasn't, it was a month in that religion. But um, as far as I know, you know, while, while fasting was known to them, because fasting was known to like Christians and Jews and 
probably people of various religions, you know, fasting is just a thing that's been done since the dawn of time. Um, and there's different types of fast, of course. Um, but you know, when, when the, fa the fasting was, um, instated, I guess for, for all the Muslims, that that's the month that it was, uh, required for everyone to do. And of course, mm -hmm. like, like all the practice in this religion, you, you can, you can read about them on paper, but you got to realize that when, when something's an obligation, it means that everybody's doing it basically together or at the same time. So, right. so it's not an individual choice that you have the rest of the year to do your individual fasts. We're doing it together. And that's a whole different, that's yeah, a whole that's different ball point. game. Right. That's kind of the point. It's almost like a group meditation in a sense. Yeah. Um, so there's nothing like, so like, here's what I mean. Like Passover, I think is, is celebrating the, the Jews exodus from Egypt. Right. And Hanukkah is celebrating. What was it? It was, uh, I want to, was it the Maccabean revolt? It was some kind of revolt. Here, I'm going to look it up. So that, that's where yeah, the origins of these. Oh no, sorry. Um, Hanukkah is when they rebuilt the temple, the second temple. Uh, that's what Hanukkah is. Um, that's what the celebration comes from because that's how long it took to build it, rebuild the temple or whatever. So, like, there's, you know, kinda, or, you know, the Christians, they celebrate the birth and death of Jesus. And that's where these holidays come from. But this mm -hmm. was just, um, but Ramadan is mostly, there is no like backstory or history with that, really. It's just the, this was the, a certain time in the lunar uh, lunar year that um, it, uh, people were told to fast and and be uh, and express their religiosity. Yep, I mean basically okay. they they were con there were concepts of doing thing doing these different things in different months, but no, there's no there's no specific thing being commemorated here. Okay, okay. So what's the um, what's the other high holy day? Or um, holiday? so. Yeah, so the holidays are called Eids, and there's, there's Eid, I guess, or Eids, I guess, English plural. There's two of them, and there's really only, so there's really only like you have the high holidays in in in, in um, Judaism, where like Hanukkah isn't even one of them. There's only like strictly speaking, a couple, a few of these. Well, in Islam, there's only two actual holidays. There's the two Eids. They're actually relatively close to each other on the calendar, and um, the one Eid. Um, which is always seems like the bigger one to me, but it's supposedly the smaller, smaller of the two is the one, the day, the first day of the month after Ramadan, which I forgot what it's called. Um, I always get the, I always get the names um, mixed up, but it's your day of feasting and you've been fasting and abstaining from everything. And you're abstaining from a lot of things, by the way, you're obviously not just fasting, but you're abstaining from, you know, anger and swearing and, backbiting all the sins you shouldn't do anyway and, and sexual intercourse during the day actually it's permitted with your spouse at night but um you're you're obviously abstaining from just about anything carnal and anything that's already a sin um and there's, there's a lot there's a lot you know this this said religiously about that and and, and why that is and, and and what happens kind of metaphysically but um that holiday is like the big holiday after 30 days. And for that reason, for me, it seems like it's the big one because it's like th the culmination of like 30 days and it's your achievement. And unless you missed it some days, uh, which 
often do, but you, then you got to make them up. Uh, but um, yeah, you, you you have you have the morning. You have you have uh, communal prayers that are not actually obligatory. The morning after uh, Ramadan ends, and then you kind of feast for a few days, and then go back about your life. Um, huh. But you, you're supposed to. It's just, it's just a matter of hospitality and visiting family and relatives and stuff. Um, the cool. second one is the supposedly the big Eid, um, and it's the Eid that corresponds with the uh, the, the the Hajj pilgrimage. Um, if you're if you're doing that, but for everyone else, uh, and I'm a little unclear, but that is an obligatory pilgrimage you have to do if, if you're able to once time in your life. If you're a Muslim, um, to go and there's a very strictly set thing that a million plus people do every year and in, 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 in uh the hijaz in arabia um that people are probably familiar with and uh the numbers are staggering obviously of people that go go try to do that obligatory pilgrimage but if you're not doing the pilgrimage because that's a little bit a little outside the scope of my knowledge i don't i can't be in the encyclopedia on that one um we do a uh, sacrifice and that sacrifice is actually based on the sacrifice of Abraham, this story is told a little bit different with a different son involved, but it's basically the sacrifice of Abraham and the goat and God commanded him to sacrifice his son and then substituted a goat. And we just, you now people hear the word sacrifice and they get, you know, they, they, they think, you know, sacrificing on an altar and all that stuff, but actually we just kill an animal and eat it, which right. I always found funny because living in, 21st century in the West, we'll typically tip. It's very common for Muslims to go out to a farm and slit a goat's throat, um, chop it up, and then eat half, a third, give a third to relatives, and then give a third to the poor. And that's what you're supposed to do. I know. So um, sacrifice, also sacrificing they, a goat has this like really, it sounds like a, it almost has a, a spooky connotation to it, right? But that's a much healthier relationship with your food than most you know factory farming right <laughs> just yeah i mean you go into a nice farm look, that, and then kill uh, butchering a goat yourself and eating it and sharing it with your friends and family you know it's so funny because look first of all if you're a vegan i totally understand why you'd be revolted by that but um that's how that's how you that's the only way to get meat and you know in every culture up until very very recently so it, it's really just you have a you know you might not be able to afford a cow the rest of the year you might not be able to afford a goat but every once in a while chicken t typically has always been very expensive per pound um you know in pre-modern times of course but this is a time where you go and you you get an animal and you perform your your obligations and you're basically it's 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 having a feast and giving away two-thirds of the animal yeah and um you know exactly also you know exactly where your food's coming from you know like you said they mostly go to these farms and i would assume they have yeah. like farms picked out and special you know relationships with these farmers and stuff or or own the yeah, farms it's, it's really cool yeah so this is like something that i obviously like i said like this is not a huge deal in so much of the world in so much of history right this is just like how you get your meat but it's a really cool thing that obviously wouldn't exist in another context that exists in like mo in modern times and in industrialized world that we're living in is that people actually go out with their kids and they go and they 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 go to a farm and they have animals and this is like not i mean 
everything is known to God and everything is intended, but this is such a specific effect of, of that festival um, in our times is that people that get their meat from the grocery store go out to a farm. And we're talking about a demographic that does not, you know, we're talking about a very like urbanized su suburban demographic of mostly immigrants. And even the ones that aren't immigrants are typically very urbanized people. So when they're going out to a farm with their kids um, in tow, little toddlers, everybody, and they, they're seeing the animal. And yes, you're seeing an animal bleed out and they're baby goats. And then you're seeing the bigger goats get killed and there's entrails and shit and stuff like that. But um, I think that's a really good lesson for anybody that, that does eat meat um, to actually experience that. And I was like, yeah, well, you Absolutely. should probably kill a goat. If you eat meat, you should probably kill an animal at least once a year. I think that's a really cool like side effect, I should say, of uh, that particular, that particular yeah, tradition. Um, yeah. tradition, yeah. Yeah, I, I I agree. I um I think everybody should, uh, you know, see where their food comes from, at least once, you know, and uh, yeah, kill an animal at least once. Um, so I I kind of respect that. Um, but yeah, it's calling you know a sacrifice does uh lead you to think of like other things, right? Of like. <laughs> big bearded guy abraham you know slicing a goat's throat on some sort of stone altar or whatever you know but um mm -hmm. you know it's which much is, different now right yeah right. which did happen but basically i mean basically we're not a religion of doing altars and sacrifices and burning stuff but there is that tradition and that did exist in the, the old testament times um mm. but it's 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 a lot more practical in our respects we don't do we don't do temples we don't do we certainly don't use statues or idols and we don't do uh big i mean there are mosques that are very beautiful and everything but we certainly don't do uh kind of bronze age it's, it's certainly not a bronze age religion it's certainly a religion of uh late antiquity i guess you'd say i'll tell you speaking of uh, beautiful mosques i was there's I was living in California for a time and there's this place called the Inland Empire, which is like sort of high desert. It's away from the ocean. Um, like San Bernardino is Inland Empire. But if you go out towards like, a, a, I don't know if it's a town or a city called Hemet, which is sort of, I guess, outside of San Bernardino, there's a bunch of mosques. Um, I used to drive truck out that way. And some of them are really beautiful. They're just out in the middle of nowhere um really like they're kind of on a main road but there's like i remember seeing like three or four of them out that way and some of them oh, are dude, really wow. beautiful like big domes with like crazy um colored roof it, really cool looking buildings uh they kind of stand out from everything around there um but i remember seeing a, a bunch of those out that way wow uh, wow i did not know they're really pretty looking there must be a huge muslim population out there i don't know yeah uh, oh there absolutely is i'm sure there are there's a ton of muslims in california and any, anywhere on the coast but it's increasingly all over the country but maybe in small pockets uh but yeah um the mosques are supposed to be a place among other things of like a, of aesthetic beauty yeah where possible well there's the idea of like a mosque that that, that has the role of a cathedral um, which we don't want to have in this country, but where, where, where possible, we have aesthetic beauty is, is part of that. And of course, our aesthetic beauty 
um, is a certain type of aesthetic beauty because it's it, it's there's no statues or frescoes or images. It's like it's a, it's an it's very iconic. If you're familiar with like iconoclasm, it's a very iconoclastic religion. So it's not a religion that uh, depict generally depicts graven images, as they say, and certainly mm. never statues and never never pictures of people or even animals in most cases. Um, and people think that's like a very harsh, strict, strict view. But I mean, I think it's a beautiful part because the resultant aesthetic sensibilities, you know, what you get outside of that is some of the most beautiful art that doesn't depict anything living. Um, so you get like all, all the beautiful tile work and colorful, a lot of very colorful aesthetics, gilded calligraphy so calligraphy becomes like super important in, in that kind of aesthetic tradition and color um but yeah uh like tessellation and geometric designs um be become like the backbone of that kind of like aesthetic thing so mm, makes sense. It, it, it just gives you a different kind of um aesthetic sensibility than would exist in a in, in a kind of like art form that has uh focuses a lot on like images of stuff Mm -hmm. um so speaking of one more i have one more question and then um uh, you can say whatever and then we can wrap up but um what are your personal you we were talking about the pilgrimage to mecca medina what are your personal thoughts about sort of the um i guess the political body of the saudi royal family uh having control over such a site yeah, I mean, we live in the modern world, so we live in like the post-Westphalian world and the mm. modern order and the liberal world order and everything. So we live in a world where like all the world is designated, at least nominally, to be part of like states. So by owning that territory and all the territory around it in like different directions, by owning that territory, they become the monarch, I guess. The monarchy becomes the guardians of the two holy sites. Um which there is no Pope. There's no Vatican. You know what I mean? There is no Pope. There is no like, but there's also no separation, separation of religion and state. And that's increasingly difficult when the, their state is, you know, has the, the, the role of like more of the modern state than a pre-modern one or like a very limited one just in its capacity. So, uh, there is a a very you know a very modern Westphalian kind of state that has to own these pla this place that's supposed to be universally inviting to all the Muslims and all over the world, no matter their political affiliation. And I mean, there's obviously pressure to kind of have this area carved out and and, and to not arbitrarily deny people and to kind of spend you know be entrusted to spend a lot of money to like maintain the stuff and to to create all these they have like pedestrian highways because you're supposed to do the walking part of the pilgrimage they have to make these pedestrian highways so that millions of people they have to have all these hotels and stuff but you know at the same time and they you know they have these really huge ornate mosques one around the kaaba and then they have the prophet's mosque and stuff um but what you might have seen is that there's also like a ton of development and there's a huge clock tower and like all these five and this huge complex this gigantic complex towering over and and uh just um just so much bigger than the adjacent you know holy mosque 
that is, um, you know, this multi-billion dollar, I guess, development and, and all this stuff. And it's just, it's a real dualism, I guess, between the, their, this modern, very, very wealthy, very, uh, you know, very modernizing state with its own very strong political ambitions and political opinions and stuff versus this very religious thing that exists and where there's no carve out like the Vatican city, you know, one thing it'd be, a, it'd be a bigger area. And another thing, this is just, this is a place where people actually live. Um, so it is, it is strange because you have, this country has like political aspirations and diplomatic relations with all these countries, but then it also has to play the role of like, yeah, all the Muslims can come in. Yeah, that and was going to be kind important. of my suggestion is like, should it be something like the Vatican, right? Where it's not under another nation state. It's well, owned by all Muslims or whatever the thing, like at least that area of Saudi, yeah. what's what's at now Saudi Arabia. Well, the ruler of the area is supposed to, you know, invest the money to maintain all that. It's actually a continuation of the tradition I mentioned earlier, where like the person, the people of that place welcome the it's their job to welcome the privilege to, to guard it and uh -huh. to welcome all the pilgrim, pilgrims and to keep up the mosques. And they have, certainly have a lot of money to do so. It kind of works out in some ways, but you have to understand the Vatican is like less than a, less than a square mile. Right. And they used to own all of Rome. And before that, they used to own a huge most of central, central, central Italy. Yeah. And so essentially the Vatican has gone away. I mean, what's mm -hmm. left is just, I think, that one complex, these right. basilicas, and you know what I mean? But that, unfortunately, can't exist. And one reason that can't exist is there's no pope. Um, and the caliph would be the unified ruler, in theory, you know, of, of Muslims, but he's not a pope. It's still not, It's it would still be a state. And it certainly wouldn't be the state of one particular place. Um well, you so, could yeah. almost have, I mean, I don't know, tell me what you think, but you could have some sort of like council or, right? Or it's like uh, owned by all Muslims, but it's managed by some sort of council of, I don't know, imams or, or whatever, you know, whatever. Well, it kind of whatever is. The thing. It's just, it's just yeah. it is. It's just, they, it's just connected. It's just paid for by that government. Okay. And it happens fair to be oil, th oil there and happens to be the money happens to be there, I guess. I guess it kind of works out. I mean, well, you know, how, we're, how in, the to, like, we're in the business of criticizing. We're in the of criticizing, but like, I don't know. It, it kind of works. Like, there's mm. tremendous pressure. There's tremendous pressure to not like politicize it, and tremendous pressure for them to like keep it up. And it is one hundred thousand percent their obligation. And there is so much pressure to kind of keep it open open and welcoming and, and, and handle logistics and put the manpower in place and they have like a whole military force that just basically tries to keep order and safety because like if you if you don't like if you're not like round the clock during the main pilgrimage doing that people there'll be a stampede and people die just because the logistics in modern times are, are insane not to mention like all the airports and customs and everything they run mm -hmm. i mean it's a huge obligation on them um so you get something sort of approximating what you're describing but the reality is you also are entering that country, which is a government that I certainly disagree with. And a lot of people do. Yeah. And I know a lot of, I know a lot of Muslims disagree with the government of Saudi, Saudi Arabia. Um, 
mainly because they are sort of flashy and flamboyant and um there's a lot of reasons there's probably a whole lot well yeah also, yeah 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 i can have i mean i have a whole list of reasons but oh you can go down um, the list yeah right right but um how good are they about not politicizing it like so if if i'm a muslim and i'm critical of the saudi arabian government but i want to go um to uh to, to, to do the pilgrimage there, how much background checking are they doing on me before I enter their country? And can they I deny me or will they or, you know, like they have an intelligence service. I'm sure they, they're capable of doing mm -hmm. those things. Um, and I'm sure they devote some of their intelligence service to making sure there aren't threats. You know, people have actually like taken over the Holy Mosque before. There have been, I think it happened in the 70s. Like there's been, there was a hostage crisis. They, there's, Things have happened, um, so they, they do security is a big deal. Um, it's a pretty wild story too. It's it's some real like cult, some cult did that. I, I, I don't know the whole story. Very interesting if you look that up. Um, the French had to help liberate the the mosque. It's really crazy, but um, oh, wow. so there's there is a security aspect, but they kind of do, they are they do keep it politically neutral, and they have to let all these people okay. in and. I mean, they do a lot of effort, you know, they have airports, which is plane after plane after plane after plane of people. And I've never really heard of this, uh, a lot of people being denied. So when when, you, when I hear the, the phrase, like, when I hear the phrase, people being denied access to the pilgrimage, I hear people being like, uh, what's the word, like, uh, turned away or denied access to the Holy Mosque, because that whole compound is called the, the, the Haram or haram or whatever the that whole comp and the thing is in the original story of the prophet muhammad sallam like he actually so that was one of the that was the source of like the big conflict in his lifetime is that when he because they prayed at that thing all the time that's that was already their place of, of worship uh, even before there was a mosque or islamic religion known to them and when he uh, went off to Medina, and all the Muslims did, that was their whole. That was still their holy site, and that was de de decreed by God. So, a lot of the fighting and conflict was basically, and the treaties and other stuff too, were basically trying to get them access back to their holy site, which was still the holy site for for the pagans. So, a lot of uh, verses pertaining to conflict and war and also peace treaties are based on fighting people to prevent muslims from going to the mosque so i think there's a strong 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 religious uh prohibition from denying people access to that mosque um which makes sense if it's an obligation right so um i think that has a lot to do with it but you know <clears throat> i think there, it is separate when you when you get a visa to go there um well, you kind of have to separate that from what's the word patronizing that kingdom because that kingdom is quick, clearly going quickly going into a different direction and you could be a trad and really have a problem with them like having like rap concerts and having like you, you know hollow celebrating halloween and all the other stuff they're doing in other mostly in other parts of the country and I've, you see a lot of stuff about very conservative and trad muslims online and, and when i say trad muslims i mean there are trad muslims like there are trads 
trad right wingers of any other group on Twitter and and, and, a, and a thing. And that is kind of a weird culture shock. And obviously, obviously, in a place that's like ninety nine percent, ninety nine point nine percent one religion, that's been like the center of the religion. You, you, as a religious practitioner, that's shocking and bad from our point of view. Um, yeah, Saudi Arabia but, is weird, right? Because they have really like harsh corporal punishment around religion. But also the princes are doing like hookers and blow and driving around on gold plated fucking yeah. private drafts yeah. and shit. You know what I mean? So but there's there's a hypocrisy to, there that's weird. There's another weird well, that was for a long time the case. Okay. And now they're trying to modernize the whole country, at least yep. outside the, those two places, maybe. Yeah, they're trying to modernize yeah. the whole country yep. and they're bringing in yeah, but here's the problem is they're bringing in like uh, they have so much capital. They're trying to do all this crazy development. You know, they're trying to build that city that's like like 100 miles long, but like only a mile wide or something. And they're 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 trying to build like a another cube, but it's like a like a two mile high cube or a mile high cube or something. I it's insane the level of like money they have to blow and how powerful their sovereign wealth fund is and everything. Um, and yeah. I think from even our point of view, but not our point of view, everyone else, not me, but as, as non-Muslims, but maybe of our, of, of this, of our listenership's kind of political bent, um, they're maybe modernizing and maybe if, as, as a non-Muslim or as a secular person or as a person who just doesn't care about like that, or you're not a trad or whatever, that aspect of it may not bother you, but they're also modernizing in a, in a way that I think our audience would find particularly uh, you know, challenging and, and kind of off-putting for other ways. It's very, you know, it's very corporate and it's very authoritarian. So um, just, just, just to give an example, you know, for a long time, um, unlike any, like I think any other Muslim country, they, or they were certainly the last to allow women to drive. It was always a thing that women could not drive. Women always had to be driven around and, you know, various. I'm pretty sure the UAE rules. is the same way. No, no, well, not, not for a while. They certainly haven't, haven't been for a while. The UAE is, UAE has gone almost fully secular, but that's all. Let's see. Story. My my sister was in the UAE. I want to say like right around 2010, maybe 12, and the company she worked for paid for her to have a driver. No, so, but there's another reason for that. There's another reason for that because they've got just so much money. It's a third world kind of thing. You get a driver. You get a. You get people to. You you know how many foreign workers they have there. It's uh. Yeah, it's it, their their lifestyle is it's it's a place where you'll see like you turn your head you'll see a Lamborghini you turn your other head you'll see a Rolls Royce and a Ferrari, that's there's an insane amount of money going through there, and yeah, you know maybe she thought it, it was it's because a world, she was a woman but that might be part of it too um but like I you know there's there's other aspects of it too, uh-huh. uh but I I don't think women were forbidden from driving in UAE at least not Saudi Arabia was definitely the last and they're very notable for being the last. Um, from what she was saying about UAE is there's, it's almost like there's certain parts that you, certain rules apply. And then there's certain parts that it are more liberalized. Like, okay. okay so it's like, if you go in that neighborhood, if you go in that neighborhood, make sure you have your hood on whatever the thing, um, mm-hmm. et cetera. Don't, you know, make sure you have a male escort, that sort of stuff. But, you know, you go over this other area and it was very much different. And maybe that's where there was just more expats or, or whatever, you know. But it seemed like uh, I don't, I don't want to say it was like partitioned, but 
um, depending on where you went in UAE, things were very different. Well, let me tell you about UAE. Um, that was that was then, and they every year they just grow that that city and that economy or those cities and that economy grows by leaps and leaps and leaps and bounds and they're just like a world financial center and all that junk um they're going a lot of expats, there, a lot of expats. yeah yeah so to put to put what you're saying into perspective though how much of the population now in 2023 do you think is even a citizen an arab an arab oh of, man it's or, you know it's, has origins a, a small fraction of the people I was are say it's probably half and half yeah oh i don't by now it's i think much less uh, you got you've got india yeah. you've got southeast asia you've got india you've got all the rest of the islamic world you've got europe you've got it's a you know and i mean it's a truly ultra cosmopolitan place and it's becoming very very cosmopolitan and you know mm -hmm. just at a matter of pragmatic like how you you'd probably have to seek out you'd have, have to have to find, ask some locals where the local neighborhoods were because it's it's and those people are what are, are they i don't think they're like i don't think you um are a local of like let's say dubai one of the places there or like abu dhabi i doubt they have many locals that are like uh you know garbage men like i don't you know what i mean like there's just so much money there i don't know what they've done but i think most people doing most jobs there are uh expats it's just a matter of from where crazy countrymen uh just yeah she said most of the locals didn't work at all because there's just so much money there they all got a stipend uh, or whatever and saudi arabia was mostly up, up until okay more recently saudi arabia was hold on you're breaking up bad You still there? Okay, we're having a little bit of technical difficulties. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you're back. So I'm starting there to you freeze go. up here. Yeah, yeah. You were okay, breaking good. up pretty bad. Um. Oh yeah. So hold on one second. We have to edit this one too. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to. My PC is starting to freeze up here. Yeah, we can we can kind of wrap it up anyway. But um, so Saudi Arabia was what it was, uh, they also relied on mostly oil money okay well for good now um yeah so most people in that country didn't have to most people didn't have to pay for utilities and they pay taxes and didn't have generally were set up with like no-show government jobs and then that's just had to change because like oil prices rise and fall and eventually people are going to move moving away from oil and uh yeah, but for a long time that was that was the case there too. But I, I think it's even more so in UAE because that's a so even in both these places, but UAE extremely sparsely populated place. I mean, by world standards. So there's just not very many Emiratis living. Right. It's just right. there there just weren't. There just weren't, you know what I mean? I'm sure they had a little spurt population relative, but like the amount of people that are, are not from there that are, are working there just because of the amount of capital in there is um, far outpaces like the whatever population they'd have growth they'd have of natives. So it's a weird place. Um, and, you know, I don't know how the problem is, is that as these places just outside the trad perspective, as these places become very, very, very modern and very cosmopolitan. And I mean, they are just 
absolutely cosmopolitan. And I, I follow a lot of Muslim accounts and very conservative Muslim accounts, as Muslims tend to be. And um, they are absolutely shocked and horrified as, as how cosmopolitan these places are, are, are getting. Um, not just from a religious perspective, though, there's another aspect to that. And that's just that there is, you know. So imagine a place where there is very little local culture. All there was was their religion, is their religion. And they, these were fishing villages, basically, for uh, backwater fishing villages 150 years ago. And now we're mm -hmm. talking about a place with, with, with you know, helicopters and, and Rolls Royces just flying around constantly and skyscrapers, the biggest building in the world. And yeah, I can see where it would fully seem automated. materialist and gross and plastic. You know, I, I can understand gold that. vending machines and, yeah, and yeah, gold vending yeah. machines, fully automated ports. Uh, just yeah. And crazy, like uh, crypto city, private city projects and weird, just all sorts, just more money than anybody could ever know what, how to invest or what to do with. And, um, you know, 787s, you know, hundreds of 787s and A380s just flying around with gold-plated this and that. And, um, yeah. Right. And, you know, it's, it's cosmopolitan in another way. There is, like, real no local culture. There's hardly any local inhabitants. And it's um, – but underneath the surface, the very gilded, modern, sleek surface, there is a very, very, very authoritarian government. Um mm -hmm. And it's not authoritarian in the sense that, that we were talking about, like uh, they're beheading people, and it's just far from it. That's that's not at all the direction they're in. But they, their uh, intelligence agencies are top notch. They have a completely U.S. equipped, modernized military um, personnel. Probably I don't know how that where they source their personnel, but they're lacking. But they've got the they've got the military hardware, and they've got the intelligence services. And uh, they 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 recruit people out of the you know the Western ones, the NSA, the CIA, and they're really um, yeah. That's perhaps more terrifying than sort of a, a pre-modern style authoritarianism, right? Um, well, yeah, because when you yeah. adopt kind of secular cosmopolitanism, and you have this veil of um, oh, they're becoming liberal, but there is no liberalism under the surface at all. It's right just not not being pre-modern it's um it's pretty Cor pretty bad so you've got almost. yeah so you've, yeah. you've got um yeah but corporatists but imagine all that capital just rushing in all that wealth just coming into existence all at once and then you've right. got militaries that are you know uh going and uh prosecuting the war in yemen and those both those countries are prosecuting the war in Yemen, and they will continue to flex their muscle and be regional powers. Um, and they don't, they definitely have their own interests, but they are certainly a hundred percent aligned with kind of the U.S. order. Um, yeah. Qatar is yeah. another one of these countries. They they host the U.S. Fifth Fleet and a lot of U.S. airplanes and everything, so they're pretty much a forward operating base in the Middle East. And um, you know, we're, we're talking about places that don't. So we're talking about countries that are like aligned diplomatically with the United States to a large extent. Um, of course, you know, all these countries are 100% like Israel's best allies all of a sudden. Because, you know, of course, they were colluding behind the scenes for like two decades or three decades. And all of a sudden now, these are literally... It's funny, we, when, when they had the World Cup over there in Qatar, um, you know, all these countries have... They, you know, they say that Trump made peace between the Arabs and Israel. What he really did is got the Gulf states... Um, yeah. 
they were secretly colluding with Israel the whole time. Anyway, they have always supported and, Israel, right? Exactly. And now they are one hundred percent Israel's best friends, and they have they're having all these you know things where they've got the Arabs in their traditional clothes and Jews all eating together and and ha ha making business deals, and they're they're dancing in the street together, and there's Israelis flying over, and 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 they're all hugging each other, and and, and what's funny about that is then in the Qatar World Qatar World Cup, where all those people from all the different countries, they had people from every country from south america from all the arab countries from europe and everything uh go and talk to israel supporters or talk to israeli journalists they'd all turn their backs and you know or, or, or harass them over the treatment of the palestinians and whatnot and everything so uh, certainly world opinion and, and and the opinion maybe of the common person is a lot different than the these countries where right well i mean you've got a country of the, that small population that becomes that wealthy that fast that the whole native population seems like they're all elites now. Right. 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 right and I think right. they're very out of touch with kind of, but with, with, with they're kind of out of touch with whatever, any semblance of having any sort of culture other than just like global homogenized. I mean, it's a very global homogenized country because it's a place where just capital flows through. It's, it's, it's a imports, it's a port city. Um, you say it's big global ports. homo? Is that what you're saying? I say global. Yeah, it, I mean, it really is a, a globally homogenized um, <laughs> cosmopolitan culture, and without any, without a lot of the positive aspects. So also, they're U.S. allies, um, and so they have all the negative aspects of being U.S. allies, and none of the positive aspects of I think you know U.S. culture, American culture, and traditions that we kind of you know oh, right, might yeah. share as, as native-born Americans. Not one single shred of like any of the good that's come out of this this country and this place and a hundred percent of the bad right that's a bad bad uh and that's a bad what outcome. they're doing in yemen what they're doing in yemen right now it's I mean, fucking how, awful. how they can starving all those people cholera epidemics people dying children dying left and right um it's absolutely yeah, it seems to be mostly children dying from cholera over there it's fucking awful yeah. Um, I almost well, thought I, I was I don't gonna know. quit, but I almost thought it was gonna be done with. But it, uh, they tried to pass some Yemen resolution in it, and it got shot down. So, I don't know. yeah, I can't say any more. Just how despicable, like politically, these these states are over there. Mm. And I mean, you don't have to be an anarchist or any kind of liberty-minded person to to think that. A lot of Muslims ha are are very anti modern state. They they could be full on statists and like an Islamic as as, as so called you know, quote, unquote, Islamist sense. But um, the idea of these these modern states, you would you would think they were anarchists because the the the, the dichotomy between the two, when you when you see the governments of like Kuwait and UAE and, and Qatar and Saudi Arabia and, and, and Egypt and so off, the, uh, these they, they really they really latch on to the very worst aspects of modernity and they throw away anything that might kind of ground them in Tradition. I, want to, I want to say tradition, but they don't have a tradition. Uh, this they don't have a, a, a liberal tradition, obviously, and they don't. You know, I'm I'm not saying the people should just kind of stay trad for the sake of staying trad, but they 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 latch on to almost to to uh to a quality the the worst qualities of of like globally homogenized modernity, and and they have nothing to fall back on. It's either that or the, you know 
pre-modern Arabia. But we're talking about places that were, I mean, it's, it's funny about the, the history of the Islamic world is that the place where the religion started, where the pilgrimage would still happen. And, and I mean, the uh, Arabian Gulf is big, so they wouldn't, that still wouldn't affect all the Arabian Gulf. But all of Arabia, the place where Islam was born, once it expanded elsewhere, and make no mistake, I mean, it mostly expanded by the sword, but also not the case in large swaths of the world. Um, but once it left there, over the next like thousand years plus years, that area still remained pretty much a backwater, you know, that cause they, they took and con converted over time, great cities that had been great cities for thousands of years, you know, Damascus, Baghdad and, um, or that area anyway, around Baghdad, um, which was like the, you know, where the Sumerians and Assyrians are all from the, the, right. and uh, Cairo and go on and so forth all through through Asia and everywhere but in the end Arabia still remained a backwater because it was just dry and you know I mean remote much it's just there. dry right. and remote and you can't can't really probably can't really support a very high population anyway and can't really support much infrastructure or culture and whatnot um so you get to like the 1920s and 30s and where where ottoman control was basically slipping from all this area or has already slipped from all this area and um these areas are still as backwaters as backwater could be the place where the religion was actually founded but it's just it's, it's also it's also heavily a matter of geography you know what i mean until right. oil was found like like there's no there's never going to be anything there until oil was found you know it's like a game of civilization you know when until you get to the modern age there's like nothing in this region to 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 fuel your cities you know what i mean so right 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 um so it, it's really funny so what ends up happening is that all of a sudden you have in the span of just a few decades like rapid 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 modernization and actually we're talking about not like catching up modernization we're talking about outpacing um in some aspects like leading the way on technology and 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 i don't know development in, in a big sense right. um and they have no like traditions their, their traditions like 150 years ago like abu dhabi and all these places they were like fishing villages there were huts right, right. so they're yeah, still crazy. kind of so, figuring out their own way in a sense yeah yeah well they figured out their own way but they've unfortunately figured out their own way until like they copied us yeah <laughs> the very the very worst aspects of modernity like i said and right uh right. So do they have a concept of uh, of freedom? I mean, yeah, it, it's an instrumental freedom because in the sense that they want like global commerce to go through the country. And so you get a ton of freedom. Like there's a ton of, but it's not, a, it, it's very distinct from like a liberal freedom. You know what I mean? It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's really just kind of the rule of the almighty, like petrodollar. Right. Well, Hey, we got to wrap this up, but um... yeah. I appreciate you sharing your thoughts and beliefs on this and um, I hope everybody learned some stuff. Do you have anything else to add about like Ramadan or anything like that? No, no, I think it was a great conversation and no, um, cool. yeah, it's something coming up. We're going to still keep putting out episodes. I'll be uh, Ramadan again starts on the 22nd and lasts about 30 days um, based on the moon sightings, of course, but uh, we'll, we're going to keep putting out episodes. We're putting out a lot, had a little lull there, but um, I hope everybody kind of learned a lot of different things. And we, we kind of touched on a few distinct topics from religion to like the global politics and stuff. So 
we'd love for you to come and interact with us and ask me or ask Zach any questions or have a discussion about the stuff that we talked about. Um, I don't talk about my religion a lot on the show because there's, there's a lot I could say about that, but it's just, you know, it's not really a show with, you know, a big Muslim audience or anything like that. And it was just a lot of, a lot of stuff that wouldn't be uh, relevant. And I have a lot of thoughts on, I have a few thoughts, I guess, on, on religion where, you know, my, my views on religion really differ a lot from my views on maybe like political topics, but. um, I can see where there's some overlap though, for sure. Oh, de de definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I guess one yeah. thing, one thing I will say before, before we close up is that, you know, when I, when I talk about my views on Islam and everything, it's, they're very, 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 well, they'd be too, non-Muslim specifically, a listener of this show, very, 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 very cut and dry, very orthodox, very much plain and simple. You you, you hear and you obey and you just, you, you follow this rule and you just do it. And I, I, I that's a feature, not a bug. Like I, that's, I, I like that dualism between you know, you know, dualism between the political philosophy of kind of like you're always kind of seeking out and trying to innovate new things and synthesize stuff. But, you know, I, I like if you truly believe that something is the word of God, then just strict stick sticking to the original source code and the and the orthodoxy is kind of uh, in the broad sense. Anyway, the fundamentals sticking to a, a strict orthodox and running that original source code, no matter what. So so that when you meet a, a Muslim from any place in any culture or, or go anywhere and you step into the mosque, you can pray right next to them. And there's no question about how you're going to do it or what order you're going to do it. in. I think that's kind of beautiful. And I, I, I like that kind of dichotomy between, you know, strong openness and like political views and wanting to innovate and, and uh, synthesize different ideas. Yeah, I can dig that. I can get what you're saying. Yeah. Well, man, I definitely learned a lot. Um, I mean, I know you kept saying you're not an authoritative uh, expert on this, but I definitely learned stuff I didn't know before, so that was cool. I, I appreciate the history lesson. Um, it's a really, that time period's a really interesting part of history, too, um, so I, I really dig that, and I hope everybody um, learned a lot as well, and uh, this was a cool conversation. I dig it a lot, um, but everybody uh, uh, be excellent to each other, and uh, we will see you guys uh, next time. Peace. And we'll see you soon. Ciao.